0: this is the coolest thing i like the sound that you use when you bleep out swears <laughs> i might swear on purpose just so that when uh, i listen to it I okay do I it i like that sound do it oh right now sure um okay indeed <laughs> uh, all right t- i can't wait to hear that noise again. oh <laughs> uh, okay
1: Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims. And today I am joined by Nicole Tomp- Tompkins. Tompkins. <sighs> Tompkins Hughes. Nicole. <laughs> and today. I'm so sorry. I am joined by <laughs> Nicole Tompkins Hughes. I'm going to get it right,
0: even if we leave all of that in. How are you today? <laughs> I'm good. I'm actually having a pretty good day. So usually I would just say I'm alive, Uh but today I'm doing pretty well. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. Nicole, who are you? Um, I am. I wear many hats. Ugh, my boyfriend decided that now would be a really good time to, like, poke me. Oh. Um, sorry, he's going to be obnoxious, and I'm going to have to kick him out. At some point, you're going to hear me say, get out. <laughs> um, so I wear many hats. Um, during the day, I uh, am an administrator at a Boston-based game development company, and that's a combination of a personal assistant and a marketer and what I like to call a fixer. If you've ever heard of, like, the person that political people call when they've when they've had a scandal and they they call in someone who's like comes in and just makes everything go away and fixes everything and then, then just like fades back into the night um that's basically what i i envision myself doing um So that's my day job. And then right now I'm also doing some um, extra bonus fun stuff with uh, Kiva Bay. Um, She, Kiva Smith Pearson, I think is her for reals name, but Kiva Bay on Twitter. I'm helping her get the feminist deck Kickstarter fulfilled and off and running and, and, and all completed. And that's, that's really exciting and fun. Um, and then outside of like working and actually earning monies, um, I am a mom. I've got a five-year-old boy named Lucas and a three-month old girl named Amelia Rose. Um, and then I do a lot of other millions of other things. I, I wear so many hats. Oh, It sounds like (laughs) it. So Kiva Bay,
1: Kiva Smith, Kiva Smith Pearson, another hyphenated name. Um, yeah. She is a past guest, just so people know. I, I will put that link in the show notes. Um, and I am part of the feminist deck, which is cool. super exciting. Um, That's- yeah, it was, it was really cool. It's been really neat to see Kiva um, as she has gone from just you know, sketching things for fun to creating this massive Kickstarter that garnered a lot of attention. And, you know, just just watching all of this unfold in a really short period of time um, Mm -hmm. has been a lot of fun. I know it's been stressful for her, but
0: yeah, especially with the, the Mary Sue taking up her exclusive comic. That's been really, really interesting to read. Um, I don't know if you've seen that at all. I think it's – I don't remember the exact wording, but I think it's uh, a comic about romance novels. Um, but it seems like she puts a lot of her life into the comic. It's super, super interesting. Um, I – like one of the things I love about the internet that I also kind of hate about the internet but mostly love is connecting with people that you would never, ever, ever have run into in a million years – um, like, I know that through Twitter, I've talked to you, Aline, a lot, and we found out that we have a lot of things in mm-hmm. common that are mostly bad things, but they're things in common nonetheless. Um, and that Kiva and I have a lot of things in common. She's uh, been talking a lot recently about, um, her issues with an eating disorder. And so we've been talking about how we've both kind of struggled. Um, and you know, she's, she's been in abusive relationships in the past. And so it's really weird how the internet can bring people together, um, um, just I know Ken Gagne has been on your show in the past um, and PAX East I met him randomly at PAX East and now we're like really good friends and um, most of this is where it becomes bad most of my awesomest best friends that I love talking to live all over the country and so I can never hang out with them I can never like say hey I'm gonna come over and watch a movie because I'm in a bad mood I just kind of have to be like oh it's 11 o'clock here so it's it's seven o'clock or, or eight o'clock there I guess I can Call and hope that I'm not waking them up, or hope that they're not putting their kids to bed. And so sometimes I sit in my house and say, "Damn you, internet!" Um, yeah. it's, it's hard. It is hard.
1: I understand. I work. Uh, I work remotely, and I have you know a small group of friends in Montreal. I have a small group of friends in Toronto, and then I have toronto i know i say the t like a bad american but um and then (laughs) and then like i have a lot of friends and it's just kind of all boston is another kind of center but then it's just kind of like everywhere dispersed portland yeah okay so i've got portland montreal toronto toronto boston and then like dispersed everywhere and it's so hard yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm on Cape Cod. I actually so you're in the Midwestish? I'm in Phoenix. Phoenix. So you kind of the Midwestish. I don't speak geography. I'm really, really bad at geography. <laughs> I'm pretty far west. Uh, I'm on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. So I'm near Boston um, and my coworkers are all in Boston and I, I also work remotely. Um, and then it's uh, funny that you mentioned those exact locations, but one of my best friends uh, lives in the Boston area. One of my best friends live in, lives in Montreal and is currently moving from Montreal to Toronto. And then my awesomest best friend lives in Seattle. Um, and so it's like every I've got these like pinpoints, like I got to go here and I want to go there it's not gonna happen yeah but anyways i digress yeah no i totally
1: get it because i've also got okay well so-and-so lives in germany and this person is in scotland Ugh. and yeah yeah it's <laughs>
0: it's rough <laughs> you know what's cool though you get to hear a lot of neat accents
1: I, I know when you get us all in the same room it's really interesting it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) the accents are wonderful. Sometimes I just want to sit here and like tap my fingers together, like just keep speaking. Uh Just I'm not going to say anything. You go right right ahead. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. We don't need to have a conversation. This can totally be a monologue. Yeah, you just exactly just keep talking. I'll listen. (laughs) Okay, so now I'm done being creepy now. (laughs) We can talk about normal stuff. (laughs) So let's talk about since this is
1: where I met you initially was at the PAX after the PAX parenting panel. Yes. Um, let's talk about that a little bit, because one of the things that, um, I thought was really cool about the parenting panel from like you in particular and other parents, um, on the panel was like, there were, um, there were questions from the audience. Cause I, I only got to see the last half of it, but people were like, well, what do you do when you when your kid wants to, your boy wants to wear nail polish. And, you know, there were there was a father on the panel panel who was like, I, I paint his nails and you're yep. like, you know, my son likes to dress up. So I make sure he has dresses. And, um, just kind of, the thing I loved was that it was just like this accepting, accepting place where all of the parents on the panel were just like, my kid gets to be who they are. Yeah. Cause that is not my experience of parents as a former childcare worker in a very conservative place. Uh, I saw gender roles enforced a lot, like, Mm -hmm. you know, kids barely able to stand, boys barely able to stand holding dolls and like parents coming in and yelling because they were playing with girl toys and, you know, really, really, really bad, (laughs) really bad. And of course, this is more than a decade ago, too. So I think that we've progressed a little bit further than that. But first of all, how did you get involved in the parenting panel?
0: Um, so the parenting panel is one of those things where, um, I actually had done a small parenting panel at Boston Fig, which is a really, really fantastic, uh, festival for indie games, uh, Boston Festival of Indie Games, um, that happens once a year at the MIT campus. And, I had kind of been like, you know, no one's talking about this and I really would like to, and this is a good place to test the waters. It's a much smaller event. Um, it's, it's all nonprofit, so there's less pressure. There's a lot of families there. Um, so I did that and, in my opinion, it went disastrously. From what I understand from people who were there, the room was packed um, and they said it was great, but I had found out that I was pregnant like five days before the panel. (laughs) So basically all that time that I set aside for panel prep went right out the window. Um, especially because I I had been sick and we couldn't figure out why I was sick. And then we found out why I was sick and it went downhill. So the, the, the BFIG panel Was like a good testing the waters. And I got a lot of great feedback from people who are like, we want more of this content, we really want to have parents talking about what it's like to be gaming parents and to raise gaming parents and to be this generation leading a generation in terms of gaming. Um And because the millennials, I'm 27, I'm gonna be 28 in a couple weeks. Um, So I'm like right in that core millennial age bracket. And I was raised with games, you know, to whatever extent I could afford them. And so now my son is being raised completely immersed in games um, which is he's got a much better <laughs> outlook on games than I did when I was his age um, but so when we came to PAX, um, I remembered that there had been a panel the previous year um, that I had heard about and I had also basically taken note of the fact that most of the panels were dads um, like I know that this year they had um, testedcom a bunch of dads which was a really great panel we went to that actually as, as um, an audience and so I' kind of been like, oh, wouldn't it be great if this happened? And then a few days before the PAX East panel submission deadline, uh, Ken Gagney, who has been a guest here and who also does the Polygamer podcast and IndieCider and 9,000 other podcasts. Don't even, because when does he sleep? He's a madman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a podcasting madman. Um, he had just sent me an email and said, hey, have you considered doing one? You know?" Um, and he he had offered to put together and submit the online digital paperwork for a panel Um, if I was willing to be a part of it and help kind of assemble a cast of characters to be on the panel. Um, so I basically just said, yeah. I mean, there's only a couple. There's like three days before the deadline. Let's see who we can come up with. Um, so I kind of racked my brains a little bit. Um, I connected with Amanda Warner, who was a guest a couple weeks ago. She's so amazing. Um, <laughs> she's fantastic, and um, also Steve Lubitz, who I had connected, you know, kind of through the grapevine. He's fantastic. He's been a guest here, I think, twice. Mm. Um, and then Gonzo, um, Chris Christopher Gonzalez, aka Gonzo he runs a company called Dapper Pixel, um, which was an area of gaming industry that most people don't even recognize, I guess. Um, He designs and sells unique shirts with his own designs and they make them all and they handle everything in their own store. Um, It's a completely independent um, local operation in the Boston area. Um, And, you know, so we we got this fun cast of characters and then we included my boyfriend as well, Um, Kyle. He's a Let's Player podcaster, excuse me, um, and a stepdad. Um, so we, we really had a a pretty significant range of parenting options. We had two dads, we had two moms and a stepdad and expectant dad. Um, and then, you know, people with one child, people with two children. And, you know, we, we really wanted to make sure it was as diverse as humanly possible. Um, and so I think ultimately that's what made it possible for our podcast to go through. I know there were several pitched, um, and we really decided that instead of it being like a, let's each of us stand up and tell our story or let's each of us, you know, script what we feel people need to take out of this podcast or a panel, excuse me. Um, we just said, let's each of us pick one or two questions that we really want to answer and that we want to get other people's answers on, um, or that's, you know, something really passionate or or, oh and we also had oh gosh I can't believe I forgot that we also had Steve Dutzman who is uh in uh journalism he's he runs Engaged Family Gamer and also has kids and he had worked with me on the Boston Fig panel I feel like a total derp for not immediately recognizing him. I'm so sorry, Steve. I love you. (laughs) Um, and so we, we decided to make it a conversation. Um, so we, we organized the panel in such a way that we all came up with some questions and then we voted who liked which question best. So it was completely, you know, I guess, democratic in nature. Um, and so we each got to make sure that everybody had one major question that was asked. And a lot of us had the same questions. They were, they all overlapped, And, um, then no one got to see the questions in advance. Uh, one person asked to see and review just because they felt like it would make them more natural um, when they were when they answered. But everyone else was hit with surprise. So we we put it all together and then everyone answered the questions live for the first time, which was really cool. So what was the reception to the panel? Um, surprisingly well. Um, when we were we were you know getting ready and we were all kind of hopped up on this imposter syndrome meets you know, high school kids at a science fair kind of vibe <laughs> and people were lining up. There was a line outside and we just kept kind of like creaking the door open and be like, Oh my God, <laughs> there's so many people out there. And then they came in and there was about, um, I want to say there was probably like 50 people that might feel like a low number. I mean, we were there. Low. Um, yeah, that's low. That's a low number. Yeah. There were, okay. there were a lot of people in there. I was super excited. Um, and like, and some people had showed up just because they were, you know, friends of a friend or a friend who were there for PAX and didn't have anything better to do. Um, but there was a lot of we were really genuinely thrilled with the amount of people who like couples who showed up. Um, we had a lot of dads. We we asked at the beginning, you know, who here is a mom? Who here is a dad? Who here has kids? Um, who here has, you know, a niece or a nephew or a godchild? And And virtually like 95% of the people in the panel had a child in their life in some capacity, um, or were expecting a child. And then it was interesting also the fact that there were some people there who did not have children, <laughs> um, which kind of, you know, just increases the awareness that, you know, talking about parenting in gaming, especially, um, is something that's that's becoming more prevalent, not only for the parents, but for the non-parents who are realizing that maybe this is something that's gonna matter to them in the next few years and they want to get abreast of it. Um, but it, we were completely blown. We were talking for, for, I think we still talk sometimes about how blown away we were. Um, even now, as we look to next PAX East and do we want to do it again? Um, but it was amazing. The, the questions that people asked at the end were really insightful. Um, and we had an absurd amount of people who waited around after the yeah. panel and were, were wanting to talk about, you know, I had a couple come up to me and ask my boyfriend and I, you know, this is what happens with us. And what do you guys do? And we were just like, Holy moly. Um, first of all, we're not experts. (laughs) Second of all, I guess this is what we do. Um, So yeah, it was it was really uh, inspiring, I guess is the best way of putting it to see how many parents wanted to talk about it and were willing to take time out of their busy pack schedule to do so. So that was really cool.
1: Yeah, I was super shocked. So I had plans to meet up with with Steve Lubitz and Amanda after the panel we were going to go down to the board game section and pick, you know pick a game and just play for a little bit and um and so you know I was waiting around and waiting around and waiting around <laughs> and I was just like wow you know it it was it seemed so well received um and people really genuinely had a lot of questions and I wonder about how much of that stems from I guess games are still stigmatized mm-hmm. and parents are told not to let their kids play games. And I think that some of that was like people looking for reassurance that, you know, your kid is going to be okay if you allow them to play games for, you know, whatever is right for your yeah. family.
0: Um, I think that in it's interesting that you mentioned the, you know, the idea that people are told that their kids shouldn't play games. Um, it's i feel like we're at a, a precipice now where there's this old school of thought where my parents and my grandparents are like get outside don't play these games um but then now my definitely definitely my grandparents but now my parents are more along the lines of like oh they really are getting something out of this and now we as people who grew up with games um and now have children are are recalling the benefits of games and recalling how much we got out of them and now as adults are seeing the worlds that they open up for us um, socially, educationally, people who struggle to learn can learn better with games sometimes. Um, and we're seeing the worlds that can be opened up for our children when they game, not only just for having fun, but for being successful and positive members of society in a million different ways, um, learning good, good and bad, learning social skills, learning bad social skills and how to avoid bad social skills, um, and finding community, uh, especially in a world where, you know, it's very possible that in the next 10 to 20 years, our children won't go to a brick and mortar building for school. They might stay at home and learn at home. Um, that's not an unreasonable consideration. Um, and to open the world to games and do it correctly is is really, really important, I think. Um, I wrote a piece for Polygon as a freelancer uh, back in September, um, right around the time that I pitched the panel, actually. And it was called um, How to Not... I don't remember what the title that they went with, but it was basically how to make sure your kid doesn't turn into a monster or a victim on the internet. Uh, and one of the things that I discussed in there was the fact that um, Lucas's father and I Are divorced and we have made a very very strong effort to parent together, um, which was difficult for a while. But now we've we've, in my opinion, I think we've done as best as can be expected for sure. Um, But much better than most people. You know, I grew up in a split household. My sister has grown up in a split household. Uh, My boyfriend has. And of all people, my ex-husband did not. So he had absolutely no understanding of how to parent separately and still parent together. <laughs> um, and so we made a decision that um, either we could just pretend that the internet didn't exist until we had no choice, or we could allow him to slowly get introduced to games and slowly get introduced to online games and very specifically teach him that the internet can be a really scary place, um, and that it gives people access to you to say things and and do things that would be virtually impossible to do in person. Um, and so he's five, and so we haven't really started to get into the world of you know online interactions, but we have started teaching him that he can't play certain things because they're online and interacting with other people um, but he can play games especially if they're offline um, right now he's big into Minecraft and it's interesting to see how we can't hold him back from Let's Plays anymore um, but what we can do is use the YouTube for Kids app which dubs I totally recommend for people who have kids who want to watch YouTube. Um, it's a kids app uh, available on iOS and Android and it filters the YouTube videos so that the kids can only get to kids content. Um, And the icon actually looks just like the YouTube icon, which is really great when you've got a five-year-old who knows the (laughs) difference. Um, So he watches um, Stampy Cat, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know what that is. If you don't know what that is, it's a British guy who makes Minecraft, pretty much exclusively Minecraft LPs. And I guess I read some bio about him because I was fascinated. And he basically found out that like kids were watching his minecraft videos and parents were writing him and asking him not to swear so much so he made a conscious decision to stop swearing and stop doing crude things and to restrict his channel a bit more specifically so that he could monetize and and really go ahead and go to the bank on these kids yeah. watching his minecraft videos okay. and now he makes like a million dollars a year oh jeez <laughs> um I need to get into minecraft clearly minecraft videos are, and there's a bunch of them like there's the diamond minecart like i don't basically like when our parents would look at us as kids and be like who are these spice chicks and who are <laughs> these you know backstreet and sink boys like what is this this is me and him talking about stampy cat and i'm like what the f- what are you doing <laughs> what is who is this guy and he's like oh that's so-and-so and he comes over and eats cake and isn't that funny and i'm just like no it's not funny <laughs> like what are you doing? But then, you know, I'll, I'll be like, gosh, go, go do something useful. And that's, you know, my parents version of get outside and do something useful <laughs> is him is me saying, get off your iPad and I don't know, build a, mount, build a castle or something. But then what's really neat is he'll get off of his iPad and he'll stop watching the Let's Plays and he'll go into creative mode on Minecraft and he'll build a fire truck that works. And he's five, and so he'll build this fire truck. And he'll be like, Look, when I step on this pressure plate, it'll spit water. And I'm just like, Yeah, okay, sure, it does. And then he'll do it. And I'm like, What, how did you learn that? He's like, Oh, Stampy Cat showed me on his videos. And I'm like, I don't, sure, Stampy Cat for everyone. Okay, <laughs> like, I'm on board now. Um, so it's it, we're in this really weird place where kids are accessing the internet way earlier. Mm-hmm. Lucas started using my iPad when he was a year old, and I was because I couldn't stop him. (laughs) So I can only imagine what Amelia Rose is going to do because now we've got three iPads. So (laughs) I mean, it's 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 we feel I feel like the bottom line is that we have to, as parents, be ahead of the curve Mm -hmm. and embrace it so that we're not our parents saying no, you can't play that N64. Get on your bicycle and ride around by yourself until dark. Like it's it's kind of the same thing. We're sending them out into this internet landscape by themselves themselves way earlier than our parents sent us out. Um, and in, I'm sure in 20 or 30 years, people will look at our our upbringings and their upbringings and say like, wow, I can't believe my mom let me watch YouTube or whatever. YouTube for kids. That was, that was incredibly irresponsible. <laughs> um, but for now, I mean, what else are we going to do? Right.
1: It's interesting. So I listened to a podcast on Relay FM called Reconcilable Differences with John Syracuse and Merlin Mann. And Merlin's daughter is, I think, about Lucas's age, maybe a little bit older. And he talks about how she does these things in Minecraft. And he's like, I have no idea how she mm-hmm. did that. Like, She's so good at it. And I have no clue how to even get started with it. And I'm just like, "Yep, yep. But, you know. So I am of an age. I am several years older than you. And, um, so we got, um, we got internet access when I was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. Um, And I don't know. I don't remember my mom ever, like, cautioning me about people, like, but I knew things like don't use your real name and because it was right when mm-hmm. the news was really starting to get toward like pedophilia and, you know, yeah. like, you know, this kind of stuff. And we watched the news every night. So I was like, OK, I can't use my real name and I can't do like all of this stuff. And, but I do wonder what she would have been like um, if the Internet were ubiquitous like it is now when I was growing up, because she was always she's an early childhood specialist. And she was always like, No, video games are great. Video games are good for hand eye coordination. And you know, so she was always like, on board with all of that. But um, I don't know what she would have done. And you know, really, you do the best you can.
0: Absolutely. Um, Lucas has been a guest on my boyfriend's Let's Play series. They're doing they have a, f- a previous series called 23 Years of Sonic where they played every Sonic game ever. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I know. It's an undertaking. And now they're now these idiots are doing every Mario game. Um, and I think they're finally in the N64 era. But um, a year and a half ago, they were doing um, Mario Paint and Mario Preschool and a bunch of the learning games from the Mario series. I've never even heard of <laughs> Mario Preschool. Right. Um, so they would have Lucas come hang out with them and he would like talk to them while they were playing games. And sometimes when they were like just bored and making some extra video content, like he would play Sonic with them and he would just chatter away and blah, blah, blah. And like we never showed his face. And we I think once he said his last name. And then I, I watched that episode and I like whacked my boyfriend outside the head. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't have him say his last name. And then I was like, wait a second. He's my kid and my name's on the Internet. Yep. <laughs> so um it's weird he's got my so my five-year-old son has this following of run button fans who every once in a while like during their 24-hour marathons would be like where's lucas lucas should make an appearance oh, wow. and i'm like this is kind of cool also really creepy. creepy yeah um but at the same time it's like you know i'm <laughs> as a youngin, I made some very questionable choices on the internet. (laughs) Um, I did not have a parent who was like, don't use your real name. And I did not have a parent who was, you know, hovering and checking my internet history. And I found and did some things I probably wouldn't do now as an adult by accident when I was a child. Um, And that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. And I would rather be the parent that's like okay well you've now been exposed to this thing on the internet i guess let's talk about it <laughs> um as opposed to just being like oh gosh no never you can't touch that you can't do that just stay away um because then inevitably he's gonna do it on his own and he's gonna end up on a vote or something and and then my sweet darling child will be some kind of gross monster on the internet and i don't want that
1: <laughs> yeah i think um I don't know it, it, it's kind of like sex ed- education it it, it kind of fits yes. in with that like I am not a parent I do not have plans on becoming a parent but I do think about what I would do if I were a parent you know and all of you just take a moment to laugh and um because, oh, come on. but like I I was with I I raised kids I I kind of did like there were some kids that I was like a oh, primary yeah. caregiver but You know, I think about things like sex ed and, and internet education. And I'm just like, I feel like you just have to lay out the facts and you have to trust your parenting that you have, you know, Mm -hmm. you've instilled logic and, you know, reason and ethics in these kids. And it's better to arm them, you know. forewarned is forearmed absolutely you know and arm
0: is the word that i always use Yeah, arm them with knowledge yeah
1: exactly you you tell them what they can expect um you make it clear that you're not going to freak out if you know something happens and then Mm -hmm. you you trust that you've done a good job raising them um and you know i know that's that's hit or miss i know there's some really horrible people out there who had really great parents and you know there there are things that happen but you can't live your life assuming that shielding a child from everything is going to have good results all the time.
0: Absolutely. Honestly, I think that's one of the worst things yeah. that you could possibly do as a parent. Yeah. But I mean, that being said, each parent has the absolute right and responsibility to raise their child the way that they yeah. feel is appropriate. So don't nobody get their pitchforks. Yeah. Um Personally, I from experience, especially believe that as a parent and as a child, that not knowing something as a child makes it a that much more appealing um, and b that much more important in your life. Um, And as a parent, you know, trying to hide things from him. um, And I feel like I feel like the conversation will get will eventually get to this point. But like trying to hide from Lucas, the fact that there will be people who don't understand him and that don't accept him. Um, even at five, trying to hide that from him feels irresponsible. Um, And a lot of parents don't get that, especially like my parents and my grandparents. Um, And, you know, after I talk to them about it, they'll be like, I guess that makes sense. But I still couldn't do it. And I'm like, well, that's good for you. And that's, you know, good, good job raising the generation. But all you have to say is, you know, our parents raised us the way that they did. And now we have these opinions about whether or not it's okay to bar um, our children from obtaining or knowing different things about the world good or bad um, and more often than not in my opinion or in my belief our experiences as children factored that like I'm not so old but I don't remember very explicitly moments in my adolescence where I said I would never do this to my child I would never treat my child this way um and as a, as a parent now, there are some times when I have definitely eaten my words, mm-hmm. um, but there are some times when I look back and I'm like, nope, I'm definitely not doing that. That was the right call. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, and hopefully I won't live to regret that. <laughs> well, I think I genuinely
1: think that most people do the best that they can. I, Absolutely. 99% of people in whatever they're doing, I believe they do the best that they can. Um and I can't, I can't judge that, you know, I, I can't, um, well, absolutely I do, but I shouldn't, I guess it's probably <laughs> more accurate
0: behind closed right. doors where no one will find out, right. but in public, absolutely. You're doing you <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, um, so you talked about how there are some things that people might not accept about Lucas. Is that something that you want to talk about on the show?
0: Sure. Um, so Lucas is, um, we, he falls into a category that, uh, the millennial generation has labeled a pink boy, um, which is kind of a neat terminology. I actually really like it. Um, and it's basically, you know, I, I was a tomboy growing up. I raced BMX bikes for, for a very considerate period of time I wore mostly guys clothes I had short hair um you know I I was a badass um and so I was a tomboy and girls who dress like boys act like boys whatever they are still in 2015 excuse me typically called tomboys um but boys who Uh, were sensitive or played with dolls or liked, you know, feminine colors or had typical, had atypical preferences like doing drama or, you know, being an artist, um, dancing, things like that, you know, when I was younger were called, you know, sissies or, Mm. you know, like pretty boys or princess or whatever. And, you know, at the time people, and in some places people still don't think that that's a derogatory statement, but it really is a derogatory statement, not only towards the boys, but also towards the girls that it hurt by making it seem like that acting like a girl is less than um but so now we have this awesome term called pink boy. Um, it's not derogatory in any way. Uh, in most cases it actually does identify a color that a lot of boys who prefer, um, typically feminine things. Uh, a lot of boys do like pink or purple, um, or pastel versions of colors that are traditionally attributed with boys like blue and green, um, and orange even, I don't know why orange is somehow a boy's color. Um, so he's a pink boy. Um, we've, you know, we use that terminology around him but we try not to use that terminology at him. Um and so he just knows what he likes. Um some of the things that he likes and these are mostly just things that he likes that have been constant for more than a month or so, which in a 5-year-old's life is a pretty important. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um he loves uh Hello Kitty. He has a Hello Kitty clip on on his backpack. He also right now we just started using a sticker chart for him and he has two sheets of Hello Kitty stickers um and those are his, his these are amazing I love these um, He also likes My Little Pony He doesn't love The shows uh, My boyfriend tried to get him To watch the shows Because my boyfriend Has got a little My Little Pony love Going on um,
1: I, I. Everyone should I who believe Who doesn't right
0: <laughs> Yeah, in this office, there's um, there's a Funko Dr. Hooves. And if you know nice. what Dr. Hooves is, yeah, Dr. we Hooves can be friends. <laughs> um, so, you know, he has a My Little Pony um, Rainbow Dash clip-on on his backpack. Um, doesn't love the show, loves the ponies. He also loves Thomas the Tank Engine. Not as much as some of the other stuff, but he does like it. He likes trains in general a whole heck of a lot. Um, he also loves Legos. And he... Likes the color pink, but over the course of the last couple of years, some people made some comments to him that made him feel as though that wasn't okay or that he couldn't be vocal about how much he likes the color pink. So he calls every shade of pink red. Which makes it really challenging when we're trying to identify what he really wants. Um, but he will pick up something that is just hot pink and say, "I love this red one," and so we'll get him that one. Um, and you know, he he has a Batman lunchbox, but he also has a purple plaid dress in his closet. So he he kind of has a, a range of interests that, in my in my worldly view, I'm just like. He likes kid stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in society, they want him to be a thing. They want him to be a label that they can fit into a box that makes them feel more comfortable with themselves and with life and with being around him. Um, so we call him a pink boy. Um, so for him, that's no big deal. That's just his life. That's what he likes. Um You know, he was in a tap ballet combo class and someone in his extended family made some comments about how ballet class is only for girls and he is a very sensitive kid and he took that very literally and very directly and he refused to do the ballet portion of the class anymore after that so he stuck with tap and he just had his dance recital and he did a tap dance recital and he had a bright blue sequin shirt and he did a little tap dance um and we got the dvd back and he wants to watch that dvd every single day <laughs> um you know he's he likes what he likes and it seems like even when people deter him from the idea of what he likes he, if we find a way to enable him to go back to it in a way that he, it's almost like he's not conscious of the fact that he's enjoying himself and the fact that he's doing something that he's previously been told isn't okay, Mm -hmm. Um, then he he wants to do it. Like every time we would leave dance class, tap would end and he would leave and the girls in his class, and and unfortunately he was the only boy in his class, but the girls in his class would keep dancing and they would switch into their ballet shoes and they would do their ballet routine. And so every once in a while he would stop and he would ask if we would lift him up so that he could look in the little window Mm -hmm so that he could watch them do their little routine. But he just was like, nope, I don't want to do this. This is for girls. I can't do this. Um, And so honestly, as a parent, those circumstances just absolutely break my heart. Um, It makes me really sad that he was enjoying ballet class and he was definitely, like, he was confused about it. In his own head, I feel like he was kind of like, I'm the only boy here. That seems weird, Um, but he was pushing through and he was – He was going in a dance class, and he was coming out with a smile on his face. And he wasn't asking to leave early. He wasn't at home saying, I don't want to go. Don't make me. Um, And that to us says a lot because he's very vocal about his preferences. (laughs) He's very sure that what he wants. Um, He also has long hair. His hair right now is about chin length. He has straight hair. When he was uh, younger, he had curly hair, and he looked like Heath Ledger. (laughs) Aww. Right. Yeah, I have the best away. picture of him. I know I finally cut his hair. The first time I cut his hair, his hair straightened out within like 48 hours. And I just started bawling. Oh, no. um, I was it was a wreck. Um, So he generally speaking, the shortest his hair has ever been is just below his earlobes. Um, and that largely was because he has some sensory issues. Um, He does have some developmental delays. And then over the course of time, you know, he got a little bit older and. He was noticing that most boys had short hair, um, like buzz cuts or, you know, the Justin Bieber hair. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was very adamant that he did not want his hair to be shorter. So um, it actually got to a point where, you know, this is one of the areas that his dad and I have kind of butted heads a little bit when he was younger. And we sat down with his pediatrician and we talked to his teachers. And the bottom line was he's two, three years old. He knows that he likes um pasta but not carrots he knows that he likes corn better than peas and he knows he likes pizza better than hot dogs he can absolutely tell you that he wants his hair a certain way and if you cut it that's not fair to him because that's you telling him it's not okay for him to like what he likes even if you're doing it in an unconscious way like insisting that he cut his hair um because at the time he was two or three years old there's absolutely you know if he's gonna join the military sure they'll tell him he has to cut his hair that's on him but he's you know going into preschool. Well, No, he can leave his hair however he wants. Um, it's interesting how many times society has an opinion about that. And as a parent, something that most people I think don't realize or remember is um, the guilt that I feel as a parent of a child who makes waves, um, as a parent of a child who's not typical, so to speak, or um, has atypical preferences, Um, the amount of guilt and shame I feel from society pressuring me and assuming that I have created my child to be this way. Um, That's something that I always, always, always want to try and tell people. Like if you have a friend who has a child and they let that child be themselves in any capacity, it doesn't matter how that plays out or how that looks to you as an outsider. Remember that that parent is dealing with some internal struggle they're dealing with the concern that their friends and their family and their coworkers and their child's parent teachers and the, the parents of other kids in their child's class they every single time they see one of those people whether they say it or not they're wondering if that person believes that they have forced their child to behave or act or dress a certain way um, it doesn't matter how many times I tell a specific family member of mine um, that that's just not reasonable or true. They believe that he likes girly, quote unquote, things because I allowed him to let his hair stay long. And because I let his hair stay long, he likes girly things, um, which to me just seems like bananagrams. Right. Um, but to them and the generation that they were raised in, that is how they were taught. Um that's just the way it is and you know it's it's so the double standard is insane um and i could talk about this for hours because it's just every day of my life and of thousands millions probably of other parents lives um you know a girl can go to school wearing track pants and and sneakers and an oversized shirt and have long hair short hair ponytail wear a baseball cap nobody says a word um but When I talked to people about the fact that my son picked out a dress and asked me if he could buy it and that I bought it for him, and then he asked if he could wear it to school and we said yes, and then we went a step further and actually let him wear the dress to school. Somehow, that's a problem. Um, And it's 2015, and I'm I'm hoping that by the time he has kids, assuming he chooses to have them, um, that won't be a problem. But it's so weird to me, like, is this a thing that you, I mean, you have said that you have worked in the childcare fields and that your mom has worked in the childcare fields. Is that a thing that you, like, what's your take on that? I'm so curious to get outside opinions. On which part? Basically the idea that in 2015, a girl can wear pants and a shirt that are boy-like in nature and nobody bats an eye. But the minute a girl, a boy puts on a skirt, it's like all hell breaks loose. Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, I'm so far removed from my early childhood background, but I can tell you that's part of why this show exists is because <laughs> it's all gender stereotyping, right? It's, um, I think that part of the reason it's okay for girls to wear masculine things is because, because we encourage girls to be more boy-like. And I'm I'm yeah. quoting, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes with my fingers. <laughs> um, but and this goes back to what you were saying earlier boys are not allowed to be what our society currently considers feminine. Boys are mm. supposed to be boys, you know. And Absolutely. Um, and it it makes very little sense. Um it, it doesn't make any sense if you really think about it. But <laughs> You know, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But in the standards, you know, there are things that exist for girls. So you can you can go in a really baggy T-shirt and baggy track pants if you want to. But if you want to wear baggy track pants and a a tank top and you're showing your collarbones, well, that's not acceptable because that's too tempting for boys. And so we've got we've got a lot of work to do around. um Letting people be who they are and who they want to be. Absolutely. And we have a lot of work about destigmatizing um, what is, or or changing, I guess not a, not even necessarily destigmatizing, but changing our thoughts about what is girly and what is mm-hmm. what is the opposite of girly, boyly. That's not a word, but you know, like <laughs> masculine, right? What we've got, and why is that that we've got girly and we've got masculine? That's yeah, you know, things like that. So we've really got yeah. we've got to change what we think of as, as feminine and what we think of as masculine. And you know, just earlier this week, Target was like, "Hey, we're going to take just going to say, isn't I it amazing? That.
0: Target <laughs> That's was so like, awesome. We're
1: taking down the pink and blue backgrounds, and we're not, yep. you know, the toys are no longer going to be explicitly gendered." And it's not just
0: toys either. It's bedding. Right. Um, housewares, basically everything but clothes right. are being destigmatized or whatever, delabeled. Yep. Which is
1: which is awesome, you know. And it's not, I guess it's hard for me. My mom and I have had these conversations um over the last year because I've started paying more attention to the like the toy aisles and clothes um for kids and that kind of thing. And um, I don't remember things being pink and blue as much as they are now. Exactly. And she, she says, yeah, there was definitely kind of that gender stuff happening, but I was into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and I was getting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, games and, and Mm -hmm. action figures and, you know, because that's what I liked. And so that's what she bought me. And, you know, and, and some people thought that was weird. Um, she did get criticism for that. So, um, Yeah, I think, I think it's social conditioning. And I do think that it's getting better by inches. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I don't, you know, I can't say how it'll be in 20 or 30 years, but I hope that it's considerably better than it is now.
0: I, I am fairly optimistic. I think there will be significant strides in the next five years, but that's cautiously optimistic. And that's just based on the, the progress that's been made in the last two years alone. Um, so I have an interesting question. So um, when you were growing up, were you more of like a tomboyish? Were you more of a mm-hmm. traditional girl? No, I definitely um, more tomboy. Uh, yeah, I. So I. So it's
1: interesting. Up until the first or second grade, I would not wear pants. I. Hmm. I don't. I think I have some sensory things because skirts are weird yeah (laughs) but I didn't (laughs) I didn't like the way pants felt so I would not wear pants I would wear dresses and not not skirts they were like dresses and socks I I didn't like the way the seams felt on my toes Mm -hmm. um I after she would after when my mom would cut my fingernails I would cry because it felt funny so I think I have some sensory processing things in my yeah. brain. I have neurological <laughs> things, but, um, but that's so, very, very common. <laughs> so, um, up until like first or second grade, I can't remember what I wouldn't wear dresses. And then like, I haven't worn a dress since hardly, you know, like I can count on both my hands, the number of times I've worn dresses in the last 15, 20 years.
0: Um, yeah,
1: but, um, no, I was, I, w- I was climbing trees. I was digging in the garden. I was playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um I I was playing soccer I was reading books I did not like the color pink I didn't you know and Mm -hmm. I was I was I had short hair
0: so I'm curious I'm curious to know if you got asked um the same thing that I got asked a lot of um as an adolescent did you get asked by peers or adults or even as an adult did you constantly have people who assumed that you were gay or bisexual? No, um, really. And well, I, did you grow up in the middle westernish areas? I, I grew up in
1: um, I grew up in the west. I grew up in southwestern Colorado. Um, Colorado is a very conservative state. I grew up mm-hmm. in a very conservative part of a very conservative state. So Great. Um, fun for you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm super liberal now. I have no idea how it happened like I am super super liberal but I grew up in a very conservative place. Um so that's not really something people really think about in that area so mm-hmm. much. I don't think but um I was made fun of a lot for being smart. That's
0: that's a thing I can identify with. Yeah,
1: I was like I remember very vividly. I've told the story on the podcast before, but I was in the 8th grade. I can remember where I was sitting in the library and one of my classmates came up to me and he said Aline you're really smart and I was like yeah and he was like you must like opera <laughs> and I just I remember what like an interesting connection t- t- right I remember tilting my head and I was like no and he and and then he like turned away like t- walked away like he had just delivered the biggest insult ever and I don't know why that is seared in my memory but I can remember it so vividly because it's hilarious. Like it never made yeah. sense. And now, like, you know, many years later, it's just hilarious. But that's funny. Yeah, no. And I was, you know, I've always, um I've always been overweight. And so I think people just assumed that I didn't date people and that I was the way I was because I was fat and not because of anything else.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry. Aww. That makes me want to give you internet hugs. <laughs> it's okay. Internet hugs, Aline. <laughs> you too. Um, Thank you. Um, So kind of the reason why I asked is I know that at least in in liberal Cape Cod, Massachusetts, less than an hour from P-Town, I lived in one of the more conservative states or conservative cities, towns, really, um, in Massachusetts, in Cape Cod, for that matter. And it is still, Sandwich is still one of the most uh, conservative cities in the Cape Cod area, for sure. Um, And so in high school, I... Uh, I was the sole member of the Gay Straight Youth Alliance, Um, individual club of one. Um, We were cut from the yearbook, supposedly because I was a club of one with my advisor. But we got to pose in a really cool uh, prop chair that looked like a throne. Um, And then they (laughs) said, well, this is this is not appropriate. Too bad. And they cut me out of the yearbook. Um, But so. Honestly, prior to doing that, prior to joining the club, um, it was constantly an assumption in our area that be, probably because of our proximity to Pete town actually, um, that if you dress like a boy or if you you know were mannish in your behaviors or your preferences, that you just must be gay. That that was the assumption, um, which was super weird because, I mean, I did pretty well for myself in high school. I had I had I was a serial monogamist. Um and I, you know, it's not like I had boyfriends that were off out of school or anything like that. I didn't have any girlfriends in high school, actually, that I, that I went to school with. But I had boyfriends that I went to high school. So people would know my boyfriend would see us together and make jokes about me being gay. Um And I see that a lot still with women who, you know, in our culture today, you know, women who dress more masculinely or more butch, um, people generally will assume that they are, um, you know, bisexual or lesbian. Um, and I think that's really interesting, um, because the number one question that I get from anybody, um, when I talk about Lucas, especially when I talk about his dress, but at all, generally when I talk about Lucas, the number one question is, does he, is he transgender, do you think? Um, you Does he identify as a boy? And he identifies as male, he self identifies as male um he he knows that his name is a is a masculine name and he loves his name. he's very very specific about his name um he doesn't like nicknames um and they're quite frequently people will honestly it even happens sometimes with family and they just for whatever reason the inclination has always been there people will just accidentally call him she or her um not in a derogatory way, just like in a I mean, it's happened to me before, um, you know, to an extent that, you know, I've had conversations with, um, you know, with Kyle, my boyfriend that we've been together with for a long time. And, um, you know, with with one of my family members, so I'm closest with, um, to which point I've said, you know, I wouldn't be surprised um, if when he is older. Um, and he explores himself a little bit more, and he's more confident in himself. I wouldn't be surprised at all whatsoever if if he um, felt that maybe he was in the wrong body. I'm not going to encourage him either way, but I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to sit us down and talk about it. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if he was gay, not at all. Um, that being said, you know, just to just again, before anybody gets their pitchforks, um, we love him no matter what. If he came home tomorrow from school and said, "I want to be Lucy," and I'm a girl and exhibited all of the um, medically proven consistencies regarding transgender children, which is consistency and insistence, et cetera. Um, absolutely, we would get him whatever medical and psychological support we needed to do to be able to support him to be the person that he feels he needs to be. Um, inside, not meaning, I hate how that words. It's such a delicate wording. Yeah. Um, if he said to us, this is who I am, then we're going to say, let's do whatever possible to make sure that you are happy with making sure that you out, your outside matches your inside. Um, I think it's probably the most base <laughs> way right. of, of saying that I can. Um, and again, if he, if he brings home a phone number for the first person that he wants to bring to a school dance and that person's a boy, not going to be surprised also not going to care meaning not going to be upset not going to be unhappy going to be just as thrilled as the first time he gets a date with a girl it doesn't matter um personally um you know i like to call myself label free um aka on the rainbow spectrum that's my favorite way of putting it i like Um, that but isn't that fantastic i I I want (laughs) to patent that i need to i need to tm that um so I, I like to say that I'm on the rainbow spectrum. I wouldn't be surprised if he is on the rainbow spectrum. Um, in the past, when I have had to, to pick a label out of a hat, um, I have always identified as bisexual. Um, I've had significant and um, meaningful relationships with women and men. Um, also with a trans man, um, which always leaves people scratching their heads like, isn't there a separate label for that? Like, no, no. I just am a person. I guess, you know, I guess Pan is is mm-hmm. kind of a lover of people, but whatever. Um, I'm on the rainbow spectrum. Spectrum. I like people for who they are. Um, people tend to assume that because I have children, I must be straight, um, especially my family. Um, but what's really super, super interesting and will never fail to amaze me is that strangers, teachers, other kids' parents, people who do not know me from a hole in the wall, um, will have a conversation with me or see him and immediately ask, is he transgender? And I can't, like every time I think about the audacity of a person asking about a five-year-old's gender identity as if it was just like, have you been to the sandwich shop on the corner? Like, that's not okay. Like that's not, like you wouldn't walk up to a stranger and be like, I see you're wearing a rainbow shirt. You must be gay. (laughs) Like like, that's not a thing that we do. Um, And what's really interesting is like, I at least I hope to God not, um, it's not a common thing that I'm aware of for someone to like, if, if you, if your boyfriend, husband, partner, whomever, Aline, Mm -hmm. if your significant other stepped out in a skirt, I feel like it wouldn't be a common thing for someone to walk up to you that you didn't know and have them be like, I see he's wearing a skirt. He must be transgender. Like, I feel like that's not a real thing that would happen. Right. (laughs) I hope. I, I don't, people constantly surprise me That's true.
1: (laughs) So, so, you know, that's, you know, it's a a couple of episodes ago, I had a a gentleman named Micah Sargent on and we talked a lot about because he is bisexual and biracial. And we talked um, some about, you know, as, as a group of people, we tend to want to put people in boxes, we Mm -hmm. want to discreetly categorize people into one thing or the other. And so I think, uh, and I, I'm always like society, but like society kind of sucks in some ways. Um, and, and ours is such that you can't be a pink boy without being transgender to some people, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's, it's not okay. It's unfortunate that people think that way. But I think that's part of what that is, is it's like, you know, it's got to be, I think it's got to be like an evolutionary thing where like, you're trying to size people up and be like, okay, you know, are you safe or are you not? And we've just Mm kind of carried that a little bit further or a lot further than it needs to go. And um, I'm, I wish I could say I was surprised you got those questions, but I'm not.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe, I think maybe the surprising thing is the audacity of someone, because I guess, you know, I think the keyword that you used is Mm discreet and like, you know, between having friends who are trans and, and dating a trans man and, you know, being involved in our our local Gay Street Youth Alliance, um, you know, people, like you said, people just want to know. Um, and while they're not asking an inappropriate question by, I guess, societal norms, they're not asking the, you know, what genitalia question that is just horrific. But in my mind, I guess I don't, like, I just, I don't understand the audacity of a, of an individual to say to a parent, um, I see your child is dressing gender atypically, are they transgender? Mm -hmm. Especially if that only applies to boys who like to wear girly really? stuff or tradition traditionally girly stuff. Um and what's super interesting is that um the tendency for people to treat children it's it's a double standard. Um so like Lucas came home one day from school about a year ago and would not stop talking about a a little boy that was new to his class Um, we will give this little boy a a, a misnomer, we will call this little boy John Um, so he came home from school and was talking about John incessantly, John loves trains, John's really cool John has a sister, we'll call her Jill, she's really cool Um, I love him, he's the best ever, and so he was so excited, and he doesn't normally get excited about kids in this way as a result of some of his um, behavioral and developmental delays. And so we were like, fantastic. Let's do what, how can we foster this? Let's, what do we need to do? He was like, I want to make John a card. And I was like, all right, let's get some paper. Let's get some markers. So he made John a card. He drew a train on a track and it was one of the first times that he drew hundred percent on his own, drew a train. Like I wanted to frame it and he wouldn't let me. So I had, to the extent that like he had me pull up a picture of Thomas the Tank Engine so that he could try and draw it to scale. Oh my gosh. Um, He was really, really focused on this. So he finished the card... And he wanted to write to John from Lucas. And so we helped him, we told him what letters to write and he wrote all the letters himself. It was one of the first times he had also done that. And then he was like, I'm gonna put it in my backpack and I'm gonna bring it to school and I'm gonna put it in John's cubby. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. And so as a parent of a child who struggles socially, I was just over the moon. And then he went to bed and then I just sat there and I was thinking for a little while and I was like, what if John's parents are not open-minded? What if John's parents see this note, this handwritten and drawn card from my five-year-old boy that just says, to John, I think he wrote, I think he put a heart next to the from, but to, to John from Lucas, um... And what if John's parents are upset? What if John's parents are homophobic and they instantly assume that my flaming gay child wrote their little perfect boy a train card and now they're going to be homos forever? Um... And I, and I was like, and I have anxiety, like, like for reals anxiety. I'm not just joking about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I basically spent the next three hours just sobbing. Like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't tell him he can't give him this card. Like, this is one of the first real crises I had of trying to handle sending my child out into the world to be himself at risk that other people would try and cut him down. Mm -hmm. Um, And what was really interesting is, so my boyfriend trying to calm me down was like, He's five. People won't think that. And I kind of, you know, and I was like, oh, you're right. Um, and then the more I thought about it, I was remembering, you know, that my best friend makes jokes about how her daughter and my son are boyfriend and girlfriend, and that her daughter calls him her boyfriend. Um, and her daughter's is five and a half. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're not that, or she's 10 months older. Um, and that his teachers will make jokes like, oh, So-and-so says Lucas is her boyfriend. And, you know, so-and-so says they're going to marry so-and-so. And, And, you know, there are these these jokes and these comments that we make regarding children even infants um you know people have made comments about how my infant daughter is going to be a looker and how Mm. their infant son and my infant daughter should get hooked up like as if we're matchmaking infants um and i you know in some ways these comments are absolutely innocent you know they're made in good fun Mm. um but when i kind of was explained to to my boyfriend, Kyle. And I was like, you know, how often do we hear them say that um, this girl, we'll call her Ashley, um, is his girlfriend, or that she calls him her boyfriend? You know, this is in the same classroom. And these are the teachers and the parents of this, um, this little girl. You know, it's a common thing for them to make jokes about this. And so then we were kind of thinking about it again and again. And so it got to a point that I was just like, you know what, I guess maybe I'll just say something to the teacher. Um, and the teacher was fantastic. She's one of the best teachers that Lucas has ever had. She's an amazing person. Um, she's the most supportive teacher Lucas has ever had too. And so when we went in the next day and kind of pulled her aside and I was like, listen, I don't know who this new boy John is, but Lucas just cannot stop talking about him. He absolutely just loves him. Can't stop talking about him. And he made him a card. And I was like, I'm a little worried because I'm worried that maybe maybe John's parents will think that this is some kind of gay thing, um, which isn't a problem for us. And we would hope it's not a problem for them. But realistically speaking, in our town, it's not unreasonable to think that their parents might have a problem with that. Um, And we were really worried. And I was like, so I guess, you know, can you let me know what happens? (laughs) Um, Or if there's a problem, can you contact us and let us know? Because if we need to keep Lucas away from this child, you know, we got to figure out a solution for that um you know if it's something that the other child's parents have a problem with their friendship because of an implied unreasonably unreasonably implied you know sexualization of their friendship of a 5-year-old of a 5-year-old's friendship right. which you know as a human being as an adult I'm like gosh that's silly mm-hmm. um but it it happens 100% it happens as evidenced by people asking if my 5-year-old is transgender because he wore a dress to school one time um and she she just laughed and i was like why are you laughing at me like i'm panicking why are you laughing and she goes um john and his sister jill have two moms and i was just like Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like, this could not have ended better. Um, and so I was, I literally was, like, in tears, like, thank God. Um, and she was just like, you know, I cannot begin to tell you how wonderful it is having Lucas in our class. You know, he's really opened the eyes of some students who would try to tell him girls can't you know boys can't like this or girls can't like this you know Lucas loves the dollhouse and he'll invite his best boy male friends to come and play in the dollhouse with them and at first they were like dollhouses are for girls and then he would just have so much fun that these boys would be like well I want to play with the dollhouse too and you know he brought in his hello kitty and the boys were like only girls and even the girls only girls can like hello kitty so the teacher this amazing wonderful teacher who I can't think enough. She happened to have a ton of Hello Kitty dolls at her house that she was getting rid of. So she brought them into the classroom and they had a Hello Kitty picnic. And all the kids got a Hello Kitty. So everybody got to pick out which Hello Kitty they liked best. Um, and he never had another negative word about his Hello Kitty. Um, but I, she specifically said, you know, that Lucas being brave and being willing to take the chances that he is at five years old is having a tangible result in his pee- who are now being more accepting, Um, which is just mind boggling. But it's like these little insignificant things that, you know, some people are like, oh gosh, you can't, you can't think about that. That's ridiculous. Like, well, no, it's not ridiculous. Um, But at the same time, you know, oh, you can't put too much pressure on him. You can't put too much weight on this one thing. Um, and they, they, it's having a a much bigger impact than, than we had ever imagined that it would have, um, for the better, you know, and and it stinks because I don't want him to be a martyr, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that in your environment, um, similar to, I'm sure many people, including my own, you know, if you're that one person who's willing to stand up and say, you know, I, I'm really into this and. I'm, I'm going to swear, Aline. Okay. For we'll that bleep it out. We'll bleep it up. <laughs> I'm really into this, and fuck you if you're not into this, because all you have to do is not be mean to me about the fact that I'm into it. Um, and the act of doing that is sometimes enough to make people be like, whoa, maybe yep. this is really cool. Um, so, I mean, I really hope that in five years, we have a much bigger impact because, you know, in five years, my kid will be in fifth grade and he'll be with puberty and with hormones and with other kids who are dealing with the same things who are starting to kind of get on that path of becoming adolescents. And I'm really hoping that between myself and the the school and his peers and the other parents and society at large with things like what Target is doing, that we have significant change in five years so that Hope to God when he gets to high school, at least in ten years, God love me, um, <laughs> that the world is a is a better place as a result not only of his choices and people acknowledging that their children. Are becoming more independent not necessarily as humans but in their divorcing their own opinions and their own ideals and their own thoughts from their grandparents thoughts you know it's not necessarily the millennials who are going to make a huge difference in how society works it's the millennials children um because we're the catalysts here and and these these children are going to be the ones that impact the change that we wish we had when we were kids um because we're monsters and we're creating our children and our likenesses <laughs> yeah awful rethinking <laughs> awful likenesses horrible <laughs> I, I got on a tangent you I'm did sorry. No, know it
1: was great though I, we're we're at about an hour and i don't want to stop talking to you but i know it's that time uh, um, so do you have do you have final
0: thoughts that you'd like to share I do. Um, I will try to be very. Um, I feel like I should start a stopwatch in like no. like debate class. Um, <laughs> I think that one of the things that I said at the the parenting panel, look, we're gonna bring this full circle. Um, oh, look. One of the things I said at the parenting panel um, that I actually almost cried because people were like clapping, and I was like seven months pregnant, and people were clapping at a thing that I said um, is. Um, and I took this away from being a salesperson at Best Buy. Um, when you're a salesperson, you're basically told that your job is to give the customer the opportunity to say no. Um, and when you're a parent, you're basically just a salesperson for everything that life has to offer. And if you don't sell them cauliflower and carrots and give them the opportunity to say no, they're going to say no by default. Um, You know, you can judge a parent who doesn't feed their child a healthy diet and say, if you don't put the good green foods in front of them, they'll never want to eat them. But at the same time, any parent or person who feels like they really support their child's um, preferences, they really support their girl playing with dinos and playing with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they really support their their boy doing ballet and watching My Little Pony and wearing a pink shirt to school. Or, you know, if you're comfortable with it, letting them wear a skirt to school or a dress to school if they want to. Letting them have pink sparkly shoes, which is Lucas's favorite shoes have sparkles on them <laughs> always. Um, and you can be... A person who is making strides for everyone else just by doing those things. But you can be a person who's making strides for your individual child by giving them every single option available in the world and giving them the opportunity to say no without influencing them at all. Um, And what I mean when I say that is, you know, similar to what I said at the panel, um, if you are going to get your child dress up clothes, Um, And you have a boy, get your small, tiny boy child, a tutu and a ballerina outfit or some fairy wings or a tiara. Get your, and what's interesting is I'm going to say this next part and everyone's going to be like, we already do that because we're empowering women. Um, (laughs) Get your girl a mechanic outfit and a doctor's outfit and an engineer or a scientist's outfit. And again, you know, you're all out there like, we already do this. Um, But Most people aren't giving their boys the opportunity to be a ballerina, not just a I'm a boy wearing tights, but an actual ballerina with a typical I'm going to wear a tutu and with a little tiara. Um, Most most people aren't giving their boys the opportunity to be a cupcake baker. And if you are a parent who is saying to their child who has said to you, mom, I'm a boy and I love this pink shirt and I want to wear this pink shirt and you let them. Awesome. You are doing a great job. If you can take it a step farther and put in their shirt options, a pink shirt, a purple shirt, a green shirt, a blue shirt, a red shirt, you're giving them all the options and you're you're inviting them to say no. You're inviting them to take the power away from you. And then you're really giving them all the choices, just like with the dress up clothes. You know, if you say to your boy child, do you want to be a skeleton for Halloween? And they say, no, I want to be a cowboy. Like, yeah, you're giving them all the options. Um, But if you give them, just throw it out there. You know, do you want to be Sophia the First for Halloween? She's pretty cool. Um, And they say, no, I want to be a cowboy. Good. Good for you. Um, you know, if you want to be even more vague and just say, You know, do you want to be a fairy princess? that's not a bad thing if they say, Yes, I do um and if they say, I love this fairy princess costume, I want to wear a dress all the time now um that's okay too. There's a lot of books out there there's a lot of great 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 books for for parents. if you don't feel confident giving your child All the choices, the rainbow of choices. If you're not there yet, maybe try really, really hard to shuffle in some diverse books to support the support that you're already giving them. Um, You know, maybe read them King and King. Uh, a story about a prince who has to get married so that his mom, who's the queen, doesn't have to be queen anymore. And he ends up falling in love with one of the eligible princess's brothers and they become king and king. Um, you know, read them a story called I Am Violet, a story about a girl who's purple and her mom is red and her dad is blue. And she has a conversation with her peers about why she's a different color. Um, you know, have these books and, and have these conversations in whatever way your child feels comfortable. Um, because if you don't have these conversations, that's what leads it to be an unusual conversation. Um, you know, don't be afraid to have a difficult conversation because it's probably only difficult or a difficult situation because it's only probably only difficult because people have told you it might be difficult. Um, in reality, you know, read, um, read a crayon story about, uh, a, a, blue crayon with a red wrapper and all of the peers and family members tell this crayon it's not doing a good enough job being a red crayon just because the wrapper was red and they use scissors to cut it and they use tape to fix it and they tell it it's not trying hard enough until he finds someone who says, could you drop me some water? Because I think you'd be good at that. Um, You know, that's a perfect metaphor. You know, your kids are what they will eventually be. And no amount of trying to protect them from bad stuff will prevent them from becoming who they're eventually going to be. And if they look back on their childhood and they remember the time that you let them go to school in a dress, or let them let your girl, you know, go be involved in something traditional, go go out for boxing or something, um, or will they remember the time that they really wanted to wear those? purple sparkly shoes to school and you said no because there was a chance that somebody might like fun of them um you know home is sanctuary and parents are your sanctuary and your support and as hard as it might be for for your child it's always going to be a hundred million times harder for yourself um and there's other parents out there who are more than happy to support you and talk to you and help you um and if you don't have a child who's already exploring these things and you want to do better or you want to try and find a way to do that there's i mean start start with me if you're comfortable with it um search on google there's not enough resources for parents going through this and i i hope to change that somehow (laughs) magically (laughs) magically with fairy dust (laughs) (laughs) um But yeah, I mean, that's just, just, just be open to things that you didn't even consider as possibilities. Um, Just try things. Let your kids say no, don't, don't take away the, the option of saying no for their betterness or betterment. Yeah.
1: And, you know, don't make it a situation where they look back on their childhood and feel sad. Exactly. All of the things they couldn't do.
0: Yep. That's, I mean, that's, that's the real thing. If you, if you take a a look back at the thing that your parent told you that you were not allowed to do ever, um, and maybe for you, that's, you really wanted to ride a motocross bike, or you really wanted to do singing lessons or whatever, um you know offering your child singing lessons costs money offering your child the choice between the dress up outfit that is gender typical or gender atypical is really just a matter of the cost of the choice um which for most people is free <laughs> you know and you know buying your child an a gender atypical or atypical preference toy or outfit or experience, you know, like a ballet class or like an art class or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, you run the risk that your child won't like it. Um, but you're also gaining from that experience your child understanding that you're going to offer them anything and they'll carry that understanding into the first time that they want to do something that they think might be a little weird or unusual and they'll feel comfortable saying to you i want to do this because they'll know that you've offered them things in the past that weren't necessarily weren't necessarily part of the norm or whatever um and that's invaluable in my opinion that being said i'm also not an expert so (laughs) footnote who is not an expert (laughs) you just make it up as you go Basically, like yeah, um, get involved in your kids' PTA. That's that's a huge opportunity. Do you know you don't have to be a parent to be on the PTA? That's weird, right? It's the parent teacher. I'm just saying, it's weird. really weird. Okay, I just found that out. All right, yeah, I'm starting the. the oh, I'm I'm carrying over my local our school our local school's respect for human differences campaign which for some reason was only offered to grades three through six or something. Um, So we're adapting it to be offered to grades K through two and no one wanted to take that on. So I said, give me some more hats. (laughs) I need more hats. (laughs) I have a 192 page manual on how to respect human differences. And I need to adapt this for a kindergarten age level. Oh my gosh. (laughs) But seriously, Uh, PTA. Okay. So Nicole, how can people find you online? Um I have a French have a French Twitter handle and I'm an idiot. Um so my Twitter handle is at sorient underscore nim. And maybe, just maybe, Aline, you could be so kind as to put that in the description because I, it's French. <laughs> it will be in
1: the show notes.
0: Perfect. Um, uh, I'm also at um com. And I think most of them, I can just add my Twitter on there, but that's for some of my freelance stuff and some articles I've written for Pixelkin and Polycon um, and Games Guinea uh, talking about some of this stuff sometimes. Okay.
1: You can find the show on Twitter at Less Than or Equal. And if you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. The best way to get people listening to Less Than or Equal, if you are interested in doing that, is to tell them to listen to Less Than or Equal. So you could do that on Twitter or word of mouth or email or whatever you want. But if you have a few minutes, it would be wonderful if you'd leave a review or a star rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time on an internet near you, I am Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.